We're going to read Romans 8, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. Now, your temptation is going to be to read it with the lens of a Western mind, of a life that if you haven't had any struggle or turmoil, if you're young, you just keep, you know, wait, it's coming. But I want you to think through, and some of you don't have to think hard. Some of you battle chronic pain. Some of you battle things that depression and anxiety that are a constant thing that you're battling with you. Some of you, this is new for you. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to set up a scene to imagine in your mind. The gospel has to be true in every situation or it's not true in any situation. So imagine we're going to be in Uganda this year. Holly's going to get to meet some of my friends over there and Annie. Um, you're going to, you meet a young couple there who's got children and maybe this is, this is totally happens in their lives. They've lost a child. They've already buried a child, had dysentery and they just didn't have the medicine available to them. And now the new child, they've got a younger child and she may be sick and maybe malaria, but they don't know because they can't get to a doctor. There is no doctor. And the, and the husband, his back hurts because he is bent over all day long doing agriculture work. The mom is sore because she's carrying around pots of heavy water all day long. And they love Jesus with all their hearts. And the Holy Spirit is changing them from the inside out. And with that in mind, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the sons of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly and wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul, who had been beaten, snake bit, shipwrecked, imprisoned. Do you think he, I mean, he said, I'm waiting for it patiently. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but, for this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What should we say in response to these things, speaking of these hardships? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? 
Romans 8 opens with no condemnation and closes with no condemnation. No one, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Paul's just reading his resume. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, those things we just said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of this today. We're all holding on to this promise. And some of us are holding on to it a little tighter than others today. Some of us feel it a little more than others today. But all of us need to know that you love us. All of us need to know that you, you've got us right where you want us safely in the palm of your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He says, the groaning of childbirth. Have you been to that rodeo? <laughs> now, I'm not talking epidural childbirth, okay? Which, by the way, huge fan. <laughs> right? I said, like, if they would have given me one, like, I would have just gotten in bed next to Shannon and Thelma and Louise, man. We'll just hold hands and the baby comes. <laughs> but they wouldn't. <laughs> But those of you who have done home birth or went Civil War style, um, <laughs> prairie, you know, like the Grand Prairie style, you understand this in a way that epidural people really don't understand it because that's what he's talking about. There were no epidurals 2,000 years ago. I don't know how they did it, quite frankly, but they, you know, they do it. And some of you and you're like, we did it. And here, here's what's amazing about it. This is groaning in childbirth is not groaning without purpose. Groaning in childbirth actually ends with something incredibly beautiful. So beautiful that some of you ladies signed up for it again. <laughs> it would only take one of those to step, yep, that's enough of that. <laughs> I've been, that's enough. But it's beautiful enough that you do it again. And that's the promise here, that this groaning that is here is not groaning without purpose. It is groaning that grows us, okay? It is groaning that moves us into the glorious reign. It's growing, groaning pains to glorious reigns. Huh? How about that? That is what Romans 8 is all about. He talks about groaning around us, verses 18 through 22, he talks about the groaning that is in us in verse 23 and the groaning that is through us, verses 26 and 27. And then around verse 31, he tells us, hey, but here's the birth that you are giving to here. So let's hit this as fast as we can because we want to baptize some people because the real resurrection is about to happen here. We'll get to a picture of it. The groaning around us in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the birth that he's talking about. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And then he says this thing that's kind of cryptic. For the creation was subjected to frustration. If you've got a King James Version, it says vanity. 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, what in the world does that mean? The creation was subjected to vanity, not by creation's choice, but by the one who subjected it. Vanity, the book of Ecclesiastes opens with vanity of vanities. Okay, Solomon, rich, like prosperous. And he, so he opens up basically saying it's vanity of vanities. And by the way, that word vanity in different places is actually translated vapor because that's really what he's saying. As I, I saw it, I experienced it, but I couldn't hold it and it couldn't go with me and it was meaningless, which is another word that it uses to translate it. He said, uh, man, I pursued women. He had hundreds of women. His, w- there were women everywhere. He had hundreds of them and he said it was vanity. And so that didn't work, so he moves to wealth, and he gets rich, like real rich, like dumb rich, like just packs and pallets of cash in the basement kind of rich. And he said it was vanity. It didn't do anything for me. So then he went to education. He said, I have much learning that I have done. I've learned, and I've learned, and I've learned, and it was vanity. And then he said, well, this is modern parlance, partying. I mean, keep in mind, Solomon was like Michael Jackson, okay, like strange, like circus animals, Ferris wheels, like bringing in like tigers and baboons and peacocks and wine and women and parties, and he said it was nothing, it was vanity, the progress of it. So the point was, he was saying kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the epithumia, Romans 6, the evil desires. It's not a desire for bad things, it's an inordinate desire for anything that is not God. So the epithumia of education, the epithumia of money, the epithumia of prosperity, of power, left him vanity and empty. Now, think with me. The creation was subject to our vanity. And because of it, it groans underneath of it. There was an article just this last week that Jakarta, Indonesia, a city of millions of people, yeah, Benny, you've been there, is sinking two feet in just the last few years. They predict that within the next uh, five years to six years, another two feet, by 2030, they, they predict it'll be completely under the sea, a city of millions. And why is it happening? Because in the city of millions, 97% covered with concrete, they have no water system, there are no pipes, and so th- millions of illegal wells have been drilled in the city to try to get water. So the aquifers that would have been replenished I mean, you can, my gear and engineer, you could probably explain this way better than I can. But the city, because the aquifers are not refilling with water because the concrete is filling off, the city is sinking. It's groaning under the vanity of creation, of humans. Vanity is, is crushing it. And our, our, man, our ecosystem, our earth, is bending under the weight of it. There was, this is so sad. There was this article just this week of this whale that had died and washed up on shore, had... I can't remember how many hundreds of pounds of plastic inside of it, crushed under the weight of the vanity of humans. That the inordinate desire for power, for prosperity, for is literally pollution. Those things that are happening, that it's easy to politicize them, one way or the other. On the other hand, quite easy to see that man. Couldn't you see that that's what God was saying? Because of your inordinate, your epithumia desire for power and for control and for wealth that you're crushing your own planet. Not just the planet itself, but the people in it. It's not just the inanimate objects, but the animate, uh, animate? Animated, whatever, if someone gets announced. The people who are not believers are being crushed 
under the weight, the groaning of the weight of the epithumia. There was an article this week in, uh, I think it's TEA, the Teachers Association. Jim Henderson shared it with me. Uh, And it was talking about something we all know, something you may be experiencing right now, and that is the weight of anxiety on teenagers that is in a place where it has never been in the history of humanity. And what it is, this, this story was saying just in the last five years that there has been a crushing uh, increase in the amount of anxiety and depression and suicides in teenagers. And they, in their research, they say there are two causes of this. One is testing, the standardized testing that we've experienced. And I don't, like when I was a kid, we didn't have standardized testing. In fact, when I was a kid, I mean, I've been told this, I don't know if this is true or not, I haven't tried it yet, but I've been told that if you hang a a high school diploma from the school I grew up in, hang it in my window, that it actually qualifies me to park in handicapped spots. Now, (laughs) again, I haven't tried it, but I I can see why. My government teacher, Wes Sumter, was anti-government, got arrested. This is, by the way, 100% true for making threats against the government. Handcuffed, carried out of class, right? That's my government teacher. Our art teacher, legally blind. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, and I'm not. Like, <laughs> the point being, we didn't really have that kind of pressure when I was a kid. They were just, they just graduate you anyway. Like, we're just we're glad to get rid of you. You know what I'm talking about. But in this day and age, the standardized testing, the pressure that a teenager feels right now, which is the teachers, they're getting graded on whether those tests are going to get right, so they're putting the pressure on. You as parents, us as parents, we're putting the pressure on. So they get a B maybe for the first time in their life, and it's like, wait, I'm not going to get into college. I'm not going to get into any college, let alone the college I want to go to. The, the pressure of feeling that weight is crushing them. That is one of the things that research has borne out, that that pressure is crushing our teenagers. The other one, the thing that has happened in the last five years that did not happen five years before is social media, straight up. They have access more than ever to what Solomon said was vanity. Not that it's wrong, okay? Prosperity isn't wrong. Having a relationship is not wrong. Having an education, not wrong. The vanity is that I put this weight that was never meant to be born, and so our teenagers are groaning under the weight of vanity, being subjected to it. Unless we think it's just in the education system, and just this week, uh, the FBI seized Backpage.com, which is a website that's has been used for illegal sex trafficking. That isn't just happening around the country. Right here in our city, Brentwood, Tennessee, Adrian Breedlove is one of our church family, is a detective. They're dealing with it all the time. The vanity of men who are perverted, who are destroying their lives, and these young girls are groaning under the weight of it. Creation is groaning, being subjected to the vanity of humans. Now that said, he didn't say that I am doing it for no reason, he's saying that this is happening to you in hope that you, you will become uh, part of the new creation. And it, to put it differently, it's, hey, God's saying, you can try this way, you can do it the hard way, you can do it the easy way, but either way, you are going to come to the conclusion that Solomon came to at the end of his life. He said that the conclusion of the matter is what? To love God and to obey his commands. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 13. 
to come to that conclusion. And so when we come to our own, the prodigal son journey, don't forget that the father not only allowed the son to take the journey, he financed the trip. And so when it says he came to the end of himself, he came back to his father. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And by the end, when Jesus returns and we are the sons of God being revealed, creation itself, glory will spill out of us into creation. Into the, it talks about the trees of the, heat, the field, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, Revelation 22. The mountains are singing, the fields are clapping. Something miraculous is happening at that moment, and it is what they're, all of creation is giving, the pain is to give birth to that. So that in the other side of the kingdom, I will never look back and think, wait, what if we didn't try that. Wonder if that would work. No, we'll be able to look back and say, no, we tried it all. And my only desire now is for my father. My only desire is for God who loved me this much. That is what it means for our bodies to be given way and for creation on this side of heaven to be subject to the vanity of the creation. It's not just the groaning around us, it's the groaning in us. He says in verse 23 that we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. I don't know about you, but the older I'm getting, the more my body is groaning. The more effort it takes to get out of a chair in the morning. (laughs) You know how it is sometimes, you just lay up, I'm literally laying still and somehow have injured my neck. (laughs) Am I the only one like that? The groaning comes from the fact that I know that this body, thank God, isn't going to be the one I get in the new heaven. The groaning is that inside of me is this, this is not the way it was meant to be. The groaning is something that we've experienced around here because just a, it was seven years ago uh, on Friday, April 6th, that my little buddy Matt LaRocca went to be with Jesus. He's 12 years old. He had a brain tumor and we prayed and we fought for him and, and he went to be with Jesus. And I remember watching him as he was sick and suffering and, and I remember how much joy the little guy had and he knew, he knew. I was like, man, Apostle Paul is gonna high five this guy when he gets to heaven. But when we got to the hospital and, and, and on that last day on April 6th and he went to be with Jesus, I was looking at this body that was racked with pain that was swollen and damaged and it was a body that's going to turn into dirt and someday he is going to get a new body. And the groan that I feel is, man, I want one too. I want to be a part of that. I want to see him again. And on the other side, on the exact same day, and Brian, I didn't ask you, so I'm just going to, the assumptive close on telling your story. The same day, four years ago, in the back of our church in uh, Independence High School, Brian had what I think was referred to as a heart incident which is a euphemism for, it was bad. I mean, Sarah, you were there, right? Like we were, it was bad. The back of the service, Kim LaRocca, the mom I just told you about, screamed my name. We had just got the missionaries in. We're getting ready to send missionary families to Guatemala. Kids were all in there gathered on the front, and we're laying hands on them, and someone screams my name, and from the back of the room, Brian had fallen to the ground. His heart, there's something he struggled with his whole life, had given out that day. And now if you're going to have a heart incident, I would highly recommend having one next to Michelle Anderson, who is a cardiology nurse, who rescued him, cheated death that day. He didn't defeat death, he cheated death. My buddy Greg Murtha that died last year um, in June, I don't mean this to be so depressing, by the way, but... 
Greg told me as he was dying of cancer, Darren, the only difference between you and me, we're both dying, you just don't know it. He called it the gift for him. If you get a chance, go back. It's a first Sunday in May of 2017 when Greg shared on that day. 45 days later, he was, in his words, moved to the front of the line. Our bodies groan because we know that this isn't how it's supposed to be inside of us. I'm sorry, we groan because our bodies are dying and we will spend an enormous amount of money to avoid it, to medicate it, to change it. And it's a losing battle. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. There's nothing wrong with eating right. That's not what I'm saying. But when you throw the epi in front of that, the desire to change it, you're just fighting a losing battle. And he's saying that your body will one day be resurrected. And my point in even saying that is why spend 99% of your life devoted to basically what 1% of eternity might look like for you in this new thing. But here's the thing. It's not just your physical body, but it's like the beauty and that you've grown inside for this. Have you ever looked at the Grand Canyon Anybody who's been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. Research has shown that most people at the Grand Canyon spend 15 minutes. Maybe you didn't, but I was like fascinated by that. And then I thought, wait, I kind of did too when I was there. And the point is, is you go there and you see it and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And then, well, that's it. I guess I can go on now. I mean, high five. But the sadness that you feel is that I want that to be in me. That beauty is calling something inside of me. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about that very thing. He said, this is why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into the human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't, or not yet. For if we take the imagery of scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, so false as history, may vary one day near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we will get in. He's saying that that feeling that you have, that groaning of like, oh, I want more of that. It's it's like when you see somebody who's got a brand new baby and this first time you've seen this baby and it's so cute and it's so adorable, adorable and you say something like, man, I could just eat you up right here. You're so cute. That's a weird thing to say. And some of y'all have said it. And what you're saying is it's the groaning inside of you that that's beauty and that's something and I can't, but it's, there's this body between me and it that can't get to me. It's not just groaning in us of knowing that it's something else, but then there's this groaning through us and it's what the Holy Spirit does through us and it's what the, the, those few verses say there in 23, 24, 25, that the Spirit groans through us. And the question is, who is doing the groaning in that? That's a very... Turns out, very controversial thing. I spent about a day into that, and the question is, who's doing the groaning? Is it me, or is it the Holy Spirit? And the answer, yes. By the way, if you're a fellow charismatic, there are plenty of scriptures in the New Testament that speak of tongues. That's not one of them. This is deeper than that. This groaning inside of us is the Holy Spirit that rises inside of you and I.
John Piper says that the Holy Spirit speaks clearly, so it can't be the Holy Spirit groaning. He knows exactly what you need. He's communicating to the Father. For you and for I, the scriptures tell us we cry, Abba, Father. Not just Abba, Father, we cry. The cries of, of, of those little babies from the hallway are crying out because of what they want. That's the picture. We get to cry that out, and we'll say whatever it is we want. What does your baby ask for? What he wants. What do you give him? What he needs. And what I think this picture of in the Holy Spirit is this. I'm asking God what I want, and the Holy Spirit is saying, uh, look, Father, I know that's what Darren thinks he wants, but here's what he'd be asking for if he knew everything that you knew. He would ask for this instead. Uh, Revelation 8 speaks of prayer as incense, the smoke of incense going before the Father. It's almost like he's saying the beautiful smell of that, that the Holy Spirit is just going to sweeten up my stinky prayer. God, I want this. God, I want that. I want it. No, no. This is what he really wants. Isaiah 40, verse 13, he says, the prophet says, who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who tells him what to do? The answer, me. I do it all the time. And the older I get in the Lord, the more I realize that prayer is not directing the Father. Prayer is directing me. Prayer is not getting my will done in heaven. It's getting his will done on earth. And the Holy Spirit, when you don't know how to pray, will pray for you. Pray whatever's on your heart. Pray whatever you want. Pray what you mean. And the Holy Spirit prays for you, interceding between you and the Father. Because the last thing that we look at is that it is not groaning without purpose 2 Timothy 2, 13, he tells him that, look, you're going to reign with Christ one day. You are co-heirs with him, we talked about last week. You are going to reign with him. First or second Corinthians, I can't remember, six, says that we're actually gonna judge angels. Like, we're gonna be in charge of stuff. This groaning that we're doing this side of heaven, the groaning within, the groaning around us, the groaning that is for us, is giving birth to the kingdom of God, something beautiful and something amazing that is coming. And you will one day, you young people, your bones don't ache yet, so this doesn't make any sense to you. I get that, I was you once. But for a lot of us who woke up this morning and took out a bottle of Advil, your body will one day be folded up like a tent, Paul said in Corinthians. But we won't stay dead we will be resurrected, a new body. And I don't, I don't even pretend to know what it looks like. But Paul said if we already had it, we wouldn't be hoping for it. That's what we're hoping for. The groans that you have, those are more prayer sometimes than actual prayer. The groaning of anxiety is maybe you just praying in that moment of you just realizing that's the Spirit praying for me and through me. But one day we will be resurrected. And by the way, that's the story of baptism. And that's what we get to do right now. And I am extremely fired up about that.